0: Welcome to the Ididapod, a podcast about what else? The Iditarod, a production of Alaska Public Media and KNOM Radio in Nome. I'm your host, Josh Edge. Mitch CV has won the 2017 Iditarod in record-breaking fashion, gliding beneath the Burled Arch yesterday at 3.40 in the afternoon. But before we get too far into today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Alaska Pipeline Service Company, celebrating 40 years of fueling the 49th state, is proud to support a Diderot coverage on Alaska Public Media.
0: Mitch beat his closest competition, his son Dallas, by more than two and a half hours. And Nicholas Petit trailed Dallas by only five minutes, claiming third place. Just a heads up, don't panic, but after today, we only have one more daily episode. Then, later this week, our trail reporters, KNOM Radio's Ben Matheson, and Alaska Public Media's Zachariah Hughes are going to come back to Anchorage. If you like what you've been hearing, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or listen on alaskapublic.org. But for now, both Ben and Zach are still out on the trail, keeping tabs on the race. And let's not delay it any longer and get into what I'm sure you all want to hear. Mitch Seavey, as we said before, won the 2017 race in record time when he crossed beneath the Burled Arch yesterday afternoon. The Seward Mushers team ran a blistering pace from Fairbanks along miles and miles and miles of winding rivers, tundra, and sea ice into Gnome. But even after this record-setting run, Ben says Mitch Seavey is still looking forward to achieving new levels of dog team performance in the peak of his career.
2: The trucks had barely finished dumping snow on Gnome's Front Street for the final stretch of dog trail when Mitch Seavey roared up off the sea ice with his 11 Huskies. Where to go, Mitch? Seavey arrived at 3.40 in the afternoon and enjoyed hugs from family and friends. Mushing is the family business for the Seaveys. His father, Dan CV ran the first Iditarod and greeted him in the bright afternoon sun. Race officials draped his leader's crisp and pilot with harnesses of golden roses. CV started the race with a schedule that would bring him in under record time, but his fast team, one that he says loves speed, eclipsed even that schedule.
1: So that's pretty cool. The trail was a little faster and, and smoother than it might have been, but I, I really strongly believe in preparing the dogs to go do what they're going to do, and you shouldn't be really surprised at what happens.
2: With the victory, CV wins more than $70,000, a new truck, and bragging rights as a three-time champion, and now the fastest champion in 45 years of racing. CV slashed seven hours off the record set last year by his son, Dallas CV with a run of eight days, three hours, and 40 minutes. To build a team with that speed, Seavey maintains a year-round training program that keeps the athletes active in the summer and achieving winter-level workouts by fall time. He doesn't reveal details about a training regime that seems to involve running dogs at a ceiling of 9.5 to 10 miles per hour and trips to prepare for the specific rigors of racing. Seavey had a two-hour edge on Dallas Seavey, leaving White Mountain Tuesday morning. And after banking a luxurious amount of rest on the coast, his team ran a blistering pace to Nome to extend that lead by another 45 minutes on the 77 miles in from White Mountain. One of the key moves this year that helped him build a defendable gap on his competition was pushing north to Hooslia to take his 24-hour break. Other top racers rested earlier in Ruby or Galena.
1: You know, if you're going to take a late 24, you have to get there in a hurry. You can't lose a lot of time because, uh, you know, you have to be in position, so I felt like we came off of that late 24 with a lot more energy than teams that may have taken their long break earlier.
2: Speed has been the mantra since C V departed Fairbanks with 70 other mushers last week. At 57 years old, C V is the oldest musher to win the race, breaking the record he set in 2013 as a 53-year-old winner.
1: And I do feel like I'm getting younger, not older, so as long as uh, this is the thing that interests me the most, this is probably what I'll keep doing. But. At some point, there may be other things in life when I grow up, but I'm having so much fun with these dogs, and we've turned a corner like there's this whole new world of things that we can do. And, and what if we could go even faster? What if we could run the Iditarod on a good trail as fast as a North American?
2: Who knows? That is the Open North American Championships, a sprint mushing race. This is now the sixth year in a row in which Dallas or Mitch CV has won the Iditarod. As the elder CV this time ran away with the title— The real race unfolding over the Topcock Hills and Safety Sound was for second place as Girdwood musher Nicholas Petit and Dallas Seavey battled for silver. Seavey says he spotted the team in pursuit as they neared Nome.
1: Kept checking, I saw no sign of him. And then
3: uh, stopped for another snack break at the top of Cape Nome and after I take off I look back and he's right behind me. He's
2: sneaky, I'll give him that. Petit cut an already thin 13-minute edge to less than 5 minutes in Nome bringing the two teams side-by-side side underneath the burled arch. It was here that Petit returned Seavey's veterinarian logbook, a piece of required equipment, after he lost it at the safety checkpoint. In Nome, Seavey and Petit joked about the race's sportsmanship award.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you. That was very kind of you. No problem. Remember that when we talk about sportsmanship? <laughs>
2: Both Dallas Seavey and Petit joined the winner with times below the old speed record set a year ago. Following his best finish ever, Petit says his team is just getting started.
1: They're amazing. And they're just two- and three-year-old dogs. And and, so watch out, CVs. We're going to get you.
2: Norwegian Jor Olsom arrived in fourth place, while Jessie Royer drove her full string of 16 dogs to claim fifth place. For KNOM News, I'm Ben Matheson in Nome.
0: We heard a couple sentences in that story about Mitch's philosophy when it comes to training his dogs Here's a little bit more of that interview he had with reporters after crossing the finish line yesterday. I
1: think we got here a couple hours ahead of our written schedule, so that's pretty cool. The trail was a little faster and, and smoother than it might have been. But I, I really strongly believe in preparing the dogs to go do what they're going to do, and you shouldn't be really surprised at what happens. Now, good things and bad things happen. There's a lot of luck that plays into it. This was a, a fairly easy going year for us, no big disasters or anything. So it happened the way we planned it. But I, I like to be able to know what the dogs will do and then fairly ask them to perform at what they've been trained to do.
4: And your dogs look phenomenal throughout. I mean, we just saw them two checkpoints back, just eating like crazy and perky. And to th- you say it wasn't a surprise, but it, honestly, from our standpoint, it was a surprise.
1: Well, I hope this becomes the, the standard. And I don't want to speak less of any of my competitors, but if we can prepare our dogs for what we're going to go do, then perform in that in that zone, uh, they should eat, they should be comfortable, and they should be happy all the way through. And, yeah, they'll be tired. It's an athletic event, but tired at the end is, is what you're looking for, not uh, something along the way. So I wasn't surprised, and, but I'm very pleased that it all played out on the big stage here. I, I'm not going to diminish my excitement for <laughs> for what
2: happened. With all of, the, all of the pre-planning, were there any big deviations you made from your the rate the schedule that you built probably months and months ago
1: pretty much no i built the schedule a few a few days ahead of the race but based on a lot of a lot of concepts but i had a plan a and a plan b i follow plan a almost exclusively there was a couple little moves that were written on plan b but when you understand the race you don't really need to write it down you know what's going to happen and it's based out of a philosophy
0: and uh give them plenty of rest and keep the speed the top five may have been determined already, but those vying for a spot in the top 10 have been running overnight on their final push from White Mountain to Nome. Among those looking for a top 10 finish is Allie Zirkel. Zach caught up with her before she left White Mountain early this morning.
4: So I got those mittens, their beaver mitts, they're smoke moose hide with beaver and beadwork. And um, last year after the incident on the river, you know, I don't know the details of it, but some people from Nelado who just felt bad that that happened, um, I don't know really why, thought that I could use a pair of beaver mitts, and they, they were right. Cause so I've worn them down the trail this whole year, and it's meant, it's meant a lot to me.
3: How was it going back through this, this time and being on that same stretch of trail?
4: It was, it was uh, awful, but I did it.
3: Do you feel better after having done it?
4: I did it! (laughs) Yeah, but the beaver mitts are great. The only problem is uh, I carried a dog, Commando, a really good dog, but he kind of got a little sickly in the heat, I think that was the deal, uh, this morning, and so I gave him a ride in my sled and uh, I think he tinkled on my beaver mitts. So now uh, one of my beaver mitts is soaked. And in a eight, even in an eight-hour mandatory, you can't get that dry. So I think I'll be leaving to the finish line with one beaver mitt and one not-so-beaver
3: mitt. <laughs> um, how did you recover so much after Galena when your dogs were getting sick? I mean, you're right up there in the top ten now.
4: I think once you once you set your mind to the goal that your team can do then you can do you can be if you can be fair to your team and run your team and that was what i had to do um i hated taking that eight and ruby and 24 and galena i mean it's the least it's the least competitive schedule ever um and it was obviously not even kind of in the cards to do that but so once I did that the dogs did build back up and off. Now I do only have nine dogs here in White Mountain and that's a small number for me. Normally Alan and I finish with larger strings and most of those dogs that I've dropped have been due to gastrointestinal issues. So I wouldn't say that I've, you know, completely recovered from the gastrointestinal stuff. So it's followed me down the trail, literally. <laughs> you don't want to be following Allie's circle. That's why Ray Reddington and Pete just passed me They said they don't want to be following Allie. It's dinky.
3: Uh, what was your goal coming into this this year's race, and what's your goal uh, for this last run?
4: Oh, well, my goal was to win this race.
3: You don't think you're going to win it?
4: <laughs> yeah, since there's been a, a winner already called, I think I'm not going to win this year's race. But... um. <laughs> I think uh Oh, let's just finish strong. Strong as nine dogs who still got the cooties a little bit can finish. That's my goal really. I'm not racing Ray, I'm not racing Pete. Um both of them are great dog guys and wherever we come in is wherever we come in. Ray's got a really fast team. <laughs> Pete, as you know, has got a great great group of dogs and I do think they're kind of They have been faster than me for the up the coast. Um, But I'm going to try. There you go.
0: And midway through her run between White Mountain and Nome, she is still in the top 10, racing just a little bit behind Pete Kaiser at the moment. Moving on to a listener question that was emailed to us the other day. It comes from a resident who lives in a quaint, wooded hamlet deep in the suburbs of the Nutmeg State, better known as Connecticut. But apparently, this listener is convalescing in Florida for the time being. Kirk Hughes writes, What is breaking trail? I pass this one over to Zach Hughes for an answer.
3: I'm at the White Mountain checkpoint. The sun's going down. It's a little bit cold. But we're in between mushers, so it seemed like a really good time to answer a question. First off, Dad, thanks so much for listening and for submitting a question. Second, why didn't you send a voice memo? It's so easy, and you love to talk. That's part of why we get along so well. Third, trail breaking. This is one of those things that I think in the abstract I probably wouldn't have understood very well at all and didn't until I saw it in person. But a trail is a pretty basic thing. It's essentially just uh, anywhere where somebody went before you. And physically, things are altered. The snow's a little bit more packed down and compressed. And then for dogs, there's some scent or they can feel on their paws that it's padded down. And all of those are indications that. Somebody went here, and so you can keep going this way, and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. So when we talk about trail breaking in the Iditarod, a lot of what that means is that snow machines went before and just kind of compacted the trail, uh, made it a little bit more visible and clearly identifiable. Another way that people do that is by putting in uh, stake markers. They're wooden poles. I'm looking at some right now. The tops are kind of a fluorescent orange, so they're visibly marked. But then also, the snow is compacted. It's a little bit firmer if it's a good trail, and essentially it indicates to the dogs and the mushers this is where you go and after that the conditions can really vary to determine whether you're going to go there fast or slow or uh, whatever but you know when it snows or when there's a lot of wind that can obscure the trail covering it up with snow banks and blowout and adding fresh layers and stuff like that and so earlier in this race when there was some snow around the ruby area uh, trail breakers were sent out to kind of remake the trail so trail breaking probably use too much as like a lingo or jargon term but that's what it means it means just making or reinforcing the trail great question dad love you
0: and as i mentioned at the beginning of this episode we do only have one more daily episode left so if you do have a question about the race there's still a little bit of time left to get it in so please send it our way you can email your questions to iditarod at alaskapublic.org But better yet, record yourself on a smartphone and email us. You can use a voice recorder or a memo app. Almost all phones have these. Introduce yourself, tell us where you're from, and ask away. And shifting gears just a bit, there's not a lot of downtime on the Iditarod Trail. Uh, That's definitely true for the racers, but it's also the case for the volunteers, Iditarod staff, and our trail reporters as well. But sometimes you just kind of treat yourself... And Zach sent in this reporter's notebook about heading a few miles out of town in Unalakleet to spend some time in a sauna.
3: I'm really lucky in that whenever I come to Unalakleet, I get looked after by some very gracious hosts. Uh, one of them is Carl Erickson, who's crouched down by a wooden shack, loading wood into a big metal stove. What are you doing?
0: Just trying to fill it up. Just fill it up.
3: How long does it usually take to heat up?
0: Well, depending on the outside temperature. It could be take an hour to get it up to where we want it, It all depends on how cold it is. It's like 10 degrees right now? Yeah, and dropping with this wind.
3: I'm recording some stuff on my phone because I left my real microphone back in town, and that's why the sound quality sounds a little bit weird. Maki is the Yupik term for saunas like this, and they're a lot more common in the Yukon-Kuskokwim region. Unalakleet is traditionally an Inupiaq community, but nearby are some of the northernmost Yupik towns, like Stebbins and Kotlik, and all good ideas migrate, monkeys included. While it's still warming up, I step inside. It's basically a well-insulated plywood shed with benches and a big-bellied stove at one end that's buttressed by stones to kick out more heat. It's about 180 degrees right now, according to a thermometer by the door, which is the coolest spot in the room. As the mound of wood Carl chucked in burns up, the stovepipe glows orange in the dark. Outside, wispy tongues of flame leap out like they're lapping the dusky blue sky. We wait for it to get real hot. A while later, in just a towel and sandals, I step out of the house. Okay, so walking outside to the oh. oh gosh. Okay. Walking outside. I walk across the snow kick off my sandals and scamper in. The temperature is up and so is the humidity. Four of us sit inside, breathing loudly, staying mostly quiet except for a joke every now and again or an observation about just how hot it really is. The hardest part for me is the minutes before the sweat comes when it feels like my skin is screaming and the deep lobes of my brain are ratcheting up into panic mode. And then the sweat starts. And it's like all that tension is suddenly seeping out in fat beads of perspiration across my arms and back. We start taking breaks, stepping out of the dark heat into the bright night air. Okay, so I just stepped out for the first time from the maki It was about 215 degrees, which uh, someone pointed out is the temperature you can start roasting meat at. So it's temperature change of about 200 degrees And stepping outside, it's been almost two minutes, and it still feels like just a cool breeze. There's steam pouring off my body, and it just feels like the biggest relief. Like, this is just a sigh I've exhaled after a couple days of lots of hard work. And I just feel calm. It's the first time I've bathed (laughs) since Thursday. Um, It's Monday night right now, so you can do the math. Even though it's just sweat and some water, it just feels so good to just be cleaner. (sighs) So, I'm going to go back in in a second. The others started peeling off. Eventually, I'm the only one in. Feeling a little dizzy, taking sips from a cold water bottle I brought in, trying to enjoy the heat and get as much sweat out as I can. But eventually, I too just feel totally wrung out. So I just stepped out of the last Maquis and I was the last one in, I think, because everybody else was in one last night. And up overhead, the sky is really, 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 really clear and I can see all these stars and I actually don't feel cold. Um, it feels like there's kind of a chill breeze, but I'm not shivering. My body's not telling me to like get somewhere else. And it just feels, after all these days of being bundled up in clothes and having um, base layers and sweatshirts and jackets and coats and snow pants and bunny boots and three pairs of socks on, to be out under the stars in just a towel, steam billowing off, it uh, feels almost like a superpower. It just feels amazing to be bare under the sky right now. Really relaxed. And a little bit <laughs> dehydrated. Before going back down the hill and writing one more story tonight. Okay. That's it for this reporter's notebook. At Amaki on the hill in Unalakleet. I'm Zachariah Hughes.
0: And that is all we have for you today. Thanks again to Zachariah Hughes with Alaska Public Media and to KNOM Radio's Ben Matheson. I'd also like to throw out a big thank you to all of you who've been listening to us over the course of the race. Since we'd never put anything like this podcast together before, we weren't really sure what to expect. But after hearing from so many of you, I'm going to count it as a success. And I also can't forget to thank everyone who has taken the time to send in their questions. It's really helped make the show and take it to what I suppose would be the next level. Just a reminder, we do only have one more daily episode left. So if you like what you hear, be sure to tune in. And to make that a little bit easier, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or listen on alaskapublic.org. Our theme music is by the band Sassafras, and I'm Josh Edge. Goodbye.
1: have the blessing of, of being well supported and having a large kennel and we've, we've selected from a phenomenal pool a large pool of very phenomenal athletes. I started training 30 dogs at the end of the last I did a rod and so when you have that sort of pool to choose from, you choose the very best. So I don't think you know just any sled dog is going to go do that but I think that's what we've prepared them to do.